0: There in Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 31, hear now the word of the living God. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I'm ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. And he said unto them, When I sent you without purse and script and shoes, lacked ye anything? And they said nothing. And Jesus said unto them, By now he that hath a purse, let him take it. And likewise his script, and he that hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. And I say unto you, that this is written, must yet be accomplished in me. And he was reckoned among the transgressors, for the things concerning me have an end. And they said, Lord, behold, there are two swords. And Jesus said unto them, It is enough. And this is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, we do come before Thee this morning with thankful and grateful hearts. We come because Thou art the God who has revealed all things for our instruction and for our edification. And we do pray for the blessing of Thy Spirit upon us, that Thou wouldst open our ears and our hearts, that we might receive Thy word And we ask, O Lord, that thou wouldst come by the power of thy Holy Spirit and bring to our remembrance these things that we hear this morning. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts, be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Trials and temptations are a common experience that comes to all believers. We are not guaranteed a life of ease and comfort when we become followers of Christ. We are told that we will face hostility and great affliction. Jesus in the Gospel of John there in that upper room discourse says that in the world you will have trouble and tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Jesus was preparing his disciples for the road that lied ahead after his ascension and told them that he would send his spirit in his absence. absence. Here we find great hope and encouragement in this section of Luke's gospel as we face our own trials and difficulties. Now, here in Luke's Gospel, we come to this Upper Room Discourse. It's not um, as intense as what we see in the Gospel of John, but here in the Upper Room Discourse, in verses 21 through 38, Jesus has instituted the Lord's Supper, and in his last will and testament to his disciples, bequeathed to them eternal life by his blood, that he would shed, and he had bequeathed unto them the kingdom of God. He willed the kingdom to them, as verse 29 says, and the future glories that await them in heaven. Now in this final discourse, Jesus foretells his disciples of trouble and affliction that would come. And so as we look at our passage this morning, what lessons can we learn from this passage about facing tribulations and trials as we serve the Lord Jesus Christ, our Master? Well, first of all, in verses 31 through 34, we have this warning that Jesus gives of approaching danger. Here, as we look at this section, there's some wonderful truths that we find here. For Jesus foretells and warns his disciples of trouble and affliction. The greatest spiritual joys and blessings in our lives are often followed by the greatest schemes of Satan. When we have had that greatest spiritual joy and blessing in our lives, we need to be on guard because it's immediately after that that Satan often comes to us When we are weak and vulnerable. And we see that here. They had just celebrated that first observance of the Lord's Supper under the new administration. And now they begin to face some of the tribulations and trials. He calls them, as we saw last week, to continue in the same temptations and tribulations that await him. And so the followers of Christ shall suffer great affliction and hardship, just as Jesus did. And so first, we see here in our passage before us, as we think of that warning against that coming danger, we see, first of all, that he warns Peter of something that is to come. He says there in the text, verse 31, The Lord said, Simon, Simon. He refers to him by his given name. Simon. And twice, by way of repetition, he says his name. The repetition of his name implies importance. That what Jesus says to him is indeed something that he must give attention and heed to. We see this in the Gospel of John when Jesus speaks to Martha and he says, Martha, Martha, thou art troubled. By many things. And so here we see Simon, Simon. Jesus wants to emphasize something for importance. Jesus singles out Peter in the context of his betrayal that would take place that night. Only Luke records this account found in verses 31 and 32. He will betray Jesus three times. Jesus also addresses him because he is most desirous of that honor and that preeminence, which Jesus speaks of in verses 23 and 24. They begin to inquire among themselves. Peter, who was the leader of that apostolic band, he begins to inquire who did this horrific thing. And then as they're pointing the finger... At whoever has betrayed the Lord Jesus, they begin to be they begin to rise up with contention and strife among themselves. And Jesus warns them, here, that pride comes before fall. This is a warning given to him to take heed. But secondly, we see here the enemy that comes against him, is foretold. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. To have you, to uh, sift you like wheat, speaks of all the apostles. Notice there in verse 31, He hath desired to have you. He's not speaking of of Simon here at this point. He's speaking of all of the apostles. In the authorized translation, all the old English pronouns that we have thrown out in this age are important for proper understanding. Here's a helpful thing for you to remember. That all the T pronouns like thou, thee, and thine, and thy, are in the second person singular. All the pronouns beginning with Y, ye and you, are in the second person plural. Jesus addresses ye all, as you say in Texas. He addresses the eleven disciples Simon, Satan hath desired to have you all, that he may sift you as wheat. All of them will be the object of satan's attack satan desired to have them this expression desired to have you is understood in two ways first of all he desires for the ruin of all of christ's followers he comes to kill and destroy he is the enemy of our souls he is our adversary and so he does desire the ruin of all believers. But there's a second thing in this expression, he hath desired to have you, shows that Satan must, speak, must seek permission from God in order to have his way with the children of God. Remember there in Job chapter 2? in that wonderful long account of the tribulations and trials that come upon Job, says there in chapter 2 that the sons of God or angels and Satan come before God that they might afflict Job. Now this is in figurative language. There's no literal picture of, of the angels and Satan coming before God, but this is figurative language that is used. God is sovereign, as we know, over all his creatures and all their actions. And Satan himself is not sovereign, contrary to what some teach. He can only afflict or cause mischief as God allows. But thirdly, we see the way Satan causes malice. Not only does he desire to have thee, he must seek permission from the Lord God to bring that affliction and trial upon his children. We see that He desires to sift you as wheat. And so this is the way here that, that we find Satan causing malice in the lives of those early apostles. He will sift you like wheat. Jesus gives this very vivid image of sifting you like wheat. It's that picture of grain being sifted. Farmers would often take the stalk of wheat, they would loosen the chaff, which is that outside husk from that edible grain, and they would oftentimes place that wheat stalk on a special floor and would beat it with a tool that had an instrument on the end called a flail, until all of the grain was removed from that stalk. Now farmers use combines to do that work. But here in the first century, they would take that stalk of wheat, they would remove that husk. Wheat is shaken by a winnowing fan. And here the imagery that Jesus gives to the apostles is that Satan will shake and toss you with great force, and he will bring you to ruin. He does not simply play with us like a cat would play with a mouse. He does not taunt us, but he desires for our utter ruin. And this is what Jesus says to them. He desires to have you that he may sift you like wheat. But there's a wonderful promise that is given here. I have prayed for thee. You come to verse 32, and here we go back to that second person singular. I have prayed for thee. I have prayed for thee, Peter, Simon, that, thou, that thy faith may not fail. The reason he particularly addresses Peter at this point is because Peter will utterly reject him. Peter will deny him three times. Jesus tells him, I have prayed for thee. Here in that expression, I have prayed for thee, it's not saying that I will pray for you, as we oftentimes tell someone, and then we go away and do what? Don't pray. He says, I have prayed for thee. I have been praying for thee, that thy faith fail not. Here's the wonderful promise that he gives to Peter, wonderful promise that he gives to us that we find there at the end of Romans chapter 8. In verse 34, when Paul the Apostle says that all things work together for our good and for the glory of God. And then in verse 34, the question that the Apostle asks is, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, Who maketh intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. By praying for Peter particularly, the Lord Jesus Christ assures him of the great comfort in consolation that comes to him and to all the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. There in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25, the scripture says this of the unchangeable priesthood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore he is able to save them to the utmost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such a high priest became us, or like us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. Jesus promises Peter that he will not utterly fall away. He will not indeed fall to the point of complete denial of the Lord Jesus Christ. But then he gives him a promise, not only a wonderful word of encouragement and consolation, but a word of promise that when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. This word converted here doesn't refer to that time of first conversion when one comes to faith in Christ it's a word that is used to refer to Peter being strengthened after that time of falling into sin in other words he says thou wilt turn again so that, thy, that thou might strengthen thy brothers J.C. Ryle said however great His desire to cause mischief for the saints of God. Satan always works in chains. Remember, he's a defeated foe. The disciples will see that when the Lord Jesus Christ rises from the dead. That he conquered the power of sin and death. He conquered the evil one. But Satan is in chains. He has been bound for a season. Jesus prays that his faith would not altogether die out. Satan uses Peter's weakness and temporary lapse or failure that comes there in verse 34. This is what Jesus has in mind when he says, I have prayed for thee. He says in verse 34, Peter the cock shall not crow this day. Some of the other accounts in Matthew and Mark say, The cock shall not crow this night. The day began in the evening, and so this is still, even though it's evening, daytime. And he says, So that this cock shall not crow until thou denieth me thrice or three times Jesus is speaking to Peter and saying that thou will deny me 3 times He foretells that event that the other gospels speak of and yet Satan uses weakness and temporary failure to bring ruin to this disciple. So the question is, what caused Peter to fail? Verse 33 tells us it's his pride. He said unto him, Lord, I'm ready to go with thee. I'm ready to go to prison. I'm ready to go to death, let's go. That's Peter's response. Peter wasn't ready. Peter didn't know what it was to go into prison Peter didn't understand what it was to go to death. And it's not that he would refuse to do that. He is truly a devoted disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. But his pride causes him to fail. Oh Lord, I'm ready to go. And not but just a short time later, perhaps an hour, Peter denies Jesus three times His pride is what caused him to fail. Great Puritan John Trapp says that Peter is overweaned with his own abilities. He thought too highly of himself. There's a question and there's a lesson here for us. Do we think too highly of ourselves? I think we do. We, like Peter, are oftentimes overweaned with our own abilities. You know what? I can do that. I can preach. I can teach. I I can serve. I can minister. I can do all of these things. And yet we need to be careful that we are not like Simon who trusts in our own confidence, in our own strength. But as Jesus speaks to him and to the disciples about that day of tribulation and trial that is to come, we see, secondly, that he gives them provision for their service and their ministry. We see this in verses 35 through 38. Jesus had sent them out previously on their mission. We see this in Luke 9 and 10, with nothing extra. He just simply sent sent them out. And he relates to them that when he sent them out, he sent them out without purse, without script, and without shoes. And then he asked them this question, did you lack anything? What is their response? Nothing. After Jesus' departure, their conditions change. They will face greater danger. Now, here when Jesus tells them that they will take purse and script and take a sword, if you have no sword, sell your garment and buy one, here he is indicating that they will face robbers and beasts and danger, and they will need provision. J.C. Ryle has wonderful truths, as he often does, but he has a wonderful Reminder to us here in this passage. He says we must use all means to do the master's work. Success, he says, depends entirely on God's blessing. He says we must not expect success by our own strength. Because that would be pride and self-righteousness. And he says we must not expect success without any means for that is presumption and fanaticism. (laughs) And so there are two extremes that we must avoid. We must not put our trust in our own self-confidence and we must use the means that God gives us. We certainly use means for healing our bodies. God has given us means for our souls. He's given us the word, the sacraments, and prayer. And we must not be like those early fanatical groups that came out of the Anabaptist movement that just cast off all means. We must use the means, lawful means that God gives that we might do the work that he has called us to do. Verse 36, Jesus said unto them, that is the disciples, but now he that hath a purse, let him take it. He that hath a script likewise, and he that hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. Here the passage is not giving us this continual prescription that when we send out missionaries or when we send out workers into the harvest fields that we should send them with a sword. There might be instances when they need to protect themselves. It'd be foolish not to. But he's primarily showing us that our captain of our souls causes us, calls us to be armed with spiritual weapons and not with carnal ones. How often we look for every means other than what God has prescribed in our day. We have neglected the means that God has given unto us for the benefit and for the service of the church here. The master shows them that times are going to get really difficult. You're going to face great danger. But in those times, remember that the Lord calls us to be armed And spiritually ready to face all of the fiery onslaughts of the evil one. How often it is easy for us to become prey as we have seen previously to Satan's devices. Because we simply ignore that he exists. Or we ignore that he's no threat to me. We ignore the the sin that so easily entangles us. But we have seen the warning that Jesus foretells of the destruction that would come, the trials that would come. We've seen him giving provision for them in their service. Now he gives a warning and a promise for us. And here's the warning that we must never think that Satan only gives attention to those who are more wicked or those whose sins are more heinous than us. We must beware of his schemes, but we must be aware of our own weakness. Faith is the root of our Christian character, which Satan seeks to overthrow. He seeks to overthrow that by producing in us unbelief. There in the Garden of Eden when the tempter comes to Eve and even in the life of Peter when he denied Christ three times. You hear this question over and over again. Hath God said Pride and unbelief lead to war to a war where a third of the angels were cast from heaven Pride and unbelief led to the fall of our human race you see that in the life of Cain Pride and unbelief leads to the fall of marriages it leads to the fall of homes It leads to the destruction of churches, and it leads to the destruction of nations. God uses our temptations. God uses those trials that come to us for our improvement, for our sanctification. He is most honored when believers maintain their uprightness and integrity under trial. The greatest temptation for these disciples will be, as it was for Peter, to reject Jesus under the most intense trial and persecution. And yet, we are called to maintain our honor, our integrity, and our uprightness under every trial. When we find ourselves weak, when we find ourselves vulnerable to the schemes of Satan, we must maintain our integrity. We must maintain our holiness, particularly under great trial. John Dunn, an old Puritan, says that this is a great scene in verse 31 that unfolds He says, Satan is tempting, but Jesus is praying. Satan is sifting, yet Jesus is pleading. The strong man is assailing, but the stronger than the strong is beating him back. The secret to your safety, saints of God, in every trial in every temptation, is that great intercessory work of our Savior who stands as our victorious King, who overcomes the work of Satan. He who keeps Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. He is your guard. He is the one who watches over your souls. And what a great comfort and consolation to know that this Jesus, who is our advocate with the Father, is interceding for us at the right hand of God. Dr. J.C. Ryle, Bishop Ryle, calls Jesus' intercession the one great secret of the believer's perseverance in faith. We do affirm the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. We don't uphold what some call the perseverance of sinners, but we uphold the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. Bishop Ryle says, The continued existence of grace in the heart of a believer is a great work. His enemies are so mighty, his strength is so small, The world is full of snares and his heart is so weak that it seems at first sight impossible for him to reach heaven. But the passage before us explains his safety. Jesus is a mighty friend. He is a gracious savior. He is a lover of our souls who sits at the right hand of God granting us that perseverance of which we cannot hold it is jesus who holds us it is not we who hold ourselves story is told of dr john kennedy in scotland there in a city called dingwall a small village who once preached this various this very text during a communion season and he appealed to every tempted And tempest-tossed soul in that congregation to lay all of its weight on this gracious advocate. He called the gracious I. All its guilty yesterday, all its sin today, and all of its unknown tomorrow. I have prayed for you Yes, this glorious i saints of God praise for us. And there's some wonderful reminders to us and lessons in this passage that warn us against the dangers that lie. Oh, how subtle the evil one is. How subtle he is even against young people. He is subtle in his schemes. He doesn't just come out like the movies depict and do some great mighty deed. No, he comes uh, camouflaged as an angel of light. He comes to deceive. He comes to kill. He comes to destroy. But, oh, saints of God, we have a savior who sits at the right hand of God, who intercedes for all of his children. And even in those times of great weakness, when our faith fails, even in those times when we say to our neighbor, no, I, I, don't, I don't go to church much. No, I, I'm really not a Christian. I'm, I'm really not that great. Even in those times of great weakness, the Lord Jesus Christ prays for us. Because those who are his saints will truly and finally persevere to the end. Jesus has guaranteed that all of his saints will make it. They will stand firm to the end. Particularly for young people here today, there are so many devices and temptations that Satan will lay before thee. He will bring things from all kinds of places that you are not even aware of. But he's subtle. He's a master deceiver. But oh, the remedy that you have is laid up for you in that means of grace that we call prayer. Not only do we pray in times of weakness and we should pray, but the Lord Jesus Christ as our elder brother is praying For us. Here, the Lord Jesus, who is the glorious I, not us, but Him, is the only one that can preserve us and keep us in times of great affliction. We are called to serve the Lord Jesus Christ and to remember that glory the glory day the glorious day to come is off in the future but we are called not to sit idly by but we're called to be active fighting against the evil one who wars against our souls oh saints of god find courage today find consolation and comfort in this savior who does pray for you, that you might be strengthened, who prays for us. But as we see in that prayer of the Lord Jesus on behalf of Peter, he prays that we might strengthen one another. How do we strengthen one another? By devouring, by gossip, by backbiting, by By? holding harbor and resentment against one another? No, that's the very thing that Satan loves. The way we strengthen one another is by our meeting together, by building one another up and encouraging one another to strive after holiness. For without holiness, no man, no woman shall see God Perhaps you are here today and all of this means nothing. I would urge you today that the time is coming when the Lord Jesus Christ will judge all sinners. And I would call upon you today to plead for his mercy, to cry out to this Christ who indeed promises great comfort and consolation to those who walk by faith and not by sight. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we do give thee thanks that thou art indeed a wonderful and gracious Savior, that thou art our high priest, that thou art our king, that thou dost intercede for us. And Lord, I would pray particularly this morning that if there are some here who feel like they're just hanging on by a thread, I pray that you would not bruise that reed, that you would not smoke that flaming flax, but thou wouldst indeed grant unto them strength for all that are struggling here today, for those who find that they can't continue on O Lord Jesus Christ, grant them strength that their faith would not fail and grant us strength that in the days ahead that our faith would indeed be centered in that great I who promises to be our hope and our surety and our consolation both now and forever. And we ask this in his name and for his sake. Amen.